Good morning. It is uh, humbling and a privilege to bring the word this morning. Uh, I'm going to start by just praying through the passage that originally was going to be taught through this morning by Micah, uh, but some circumstances have made him uh, unable to do that this morning. And uh, actually, in your, your notes, none of the notes uh, in the uh, bulletin will match um, what I'm talking about. I'm not, I don't have any GOAT acronym. I don't know what that is all about. Um, and I'm not even going to try to make an acronym of GOAT with my message. But yeah, let me pray um, through Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Um, yeah, God. Jesus, uh, you are the image of the invisible God. You are the firstborn over all creation. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible for you, through you. You are before all things, and in you all things hold together. And you created the heavens and the earth, and you made peace by the blood of your cross, and we thank you, Jesus. We pray that you would take this time, God, take this time, make it yours as we go into the the next part of your word, and uh, it's all these things we praise you through your son, Jesus, amen. Um, I'm going to start with a question. Uh, have you ever seen a, a dark brown toilet? <laughs> you ever seen a dark brown toilet? Probably not. Uh, like, why do toilets have to be white? Jeez. I mean, you know, when they're white, you, see, you, you just see everything. Um, and if we had dark brown toilets, we wouldn't have to clean them so much. Gosh. Um, I love things that hide stains and dirtiness. I love having gray shoes. I despise white shoes. Uh, I just got a pair of white running shoes. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. I just felt peer pressured by the guy at the store. It was so stupid. I'm like, why am I so people-pleasing? Um, but I realized it once again. It, I didn't go but two days uh, I got grass stains on them. Something liquid must have dripped on them. You know, one of those spots. I strongly dislike white shoes. Oh, like, it's great if you wear them and you're fine. Like, that's great. But no, not for me. I want my shoes to not show the dirt. Same with clothes. I want clothes that, um, you know, can hide stains. I want my car paint to not show all the winter salt on the roads but um, sometimes you don't want things to hide stains and crud, you know, back to toilets. Uh, you know, we've, we've never seen a dark brown toilet for a reason. Uh, or our basement carpet. Like when we bought our house eight years ago, uh, they ha- there was really, really dark uh, brown and orange carpet. And, and all I remember thinking was, like, if there are tons of bugs dead or crawling on the floor, I would never know it. Never know it. They'd be completely hidden, and it was an awful feeling. Uh, and every once in a while, I would, I would catch a movement in the corner of my eye. 
and uh, on the carpet, and it would, sometimes I would find it, and it would be one of those grossest, like, ugliest bugs from H-E double hockey stick, seriously. Like, um, you know those bugs that are really, like, they look furry, and they have all the things, and it was, it's not, not a centipede. Centipedes are harmless. These ones, like, have diseases. They have to. Um, so what did we do? We changed out the carpet. Uh, we put really light carpet down there. Uh, so now it's really awesome because I, I can plainly see when the rare bug, uh, you know, is crawling on the floor. And I kill it, and it's great. And I've actually realized there's not too many bugs down here. I always imagined there to be, like, infestations. Anyway. Now, moving this analogy to the spiritual level, um, if we're honest with ourselves, especially when I'm talking about my white shoes and the stains, if we're honest with ourselves, our souls have some pretty bad stains, pretty serious stains. I know mine does. And we can kind of cover them up with people, but, but trying to hide them uh, from God doesn't work. Uh, Hebrews 4, 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Uh, no brown, dark brown toilet's going to fool God. Like, he sees our sin. And so what's the solution? You know, are we just a lost cause because of the stain of sin that we all know that we have? Uh, I mean, we can't, even, we can't even hold the same standards that we place on the people around us often. And we're going to continue our series in Colossians, uh, and this talks about a passage uh, or a, a way forward. Uh, the passage is Colossians 1, 21 to 23, and I'll have it up on the slides. <clears throat> says, oh, let me get a drink here real quick. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And we'll start with verse 21. Um, as we look at this passage, the flow of it is pre-reconciliation to the means of reconciliation to the result of reconciliation to the condition of reconciliation to the ministry of reconciliation. If I could have, uh, if I would have known more in advance, I would have put it in your bulletin for notes. It's like the first time I've ever had something to put in the notes section in the bulletin. And, uh, you know, found out yesterday, I'm preaching today, so I couldn't, but um, that's a lot of reconciliation. Um, the pre-reconciliation state, verse 21, is a state of alienation, a separation that exists between us and God due to sin. Uh, we're just not, we're not just neutral parties. Uh, it says we're enemies prior to Jesus in our lives. He is a holy God. The recipients of this letter definitely understood this. Paul had visited Colossae about 10 years prior, and these people that came to Christ at that point decisively moved from following idols to following Jesus. 
And so they knew what estrangement from God felt like. They weren't generational Christians, so they didn't have that temptation to just not, not, uh, not be able to uh, relate to this, like many of us maybe may struggle with. But I would argue that you don't have to have that kind of a, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm fine, found kind of story to feel the relational effects of our sin, that alienation and what that feels like from God. Like we get tastes of that when we sin as believers. We feel the filth of sin after we partake in it. We feel the emptiness and we feel the grief God feels when we choose to sin. There's um, no such thing as a boring testimony. Even if you've been a Christian, quote, all your life, you can still be just as passionate as someone who had a crazy enlightenment awakening after living a life of sin and indulgence. Why? Because if you're in touch with the depravity that lives in you, you will be crazy about your Savior. There's no such thing as a boring testimony. Maybe you're boring. You needed to confess that today. Because God is not boring. Amen? So don't give me this, I have a boring testimony. If you know the Lord, you're basically calling God boring. So seek the Lord and you will find out that he is not boring. First part of verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. This is the means of reconciliation. Paul shifts his focus on the solution or to the solution of this alienation that we experience from God, Jesus Christ, from alienation to reconciliation, from far from God, distant from God to close to God, his enemy to now his friend. Uh, Verse 22, yeah, one of the things that spoke to me in this verse is that uh, the Father reconciled us through Jesus. Uh, It was the Father's idea. Uh, Sometimes it seems like the Father is more intimidating, you know? Like think Old Testament and how he is just plain like really scary sometimes. Uh, It seems sometimes like God the Father is more truth-oriented and Jesus is more grace-oriented, almost like good cop, bad cop. But no, it was the Father, it was the Father who had Jesus die on the cross It was the Father's will. Think Garden of Gethsemane. The same God of the Old Testament. It's not that God the Father is full of wrath and Jesus takes our side and defends us from the Father's wrath as if he's forcing the Father's hand to spare us from his wrath. It's that it was the Father's will to have his wrath fall on his Son. That was the plan the whole time. It was his idea to have his own wrath fall on his own son rather than on you and me to make a way for us to be reconciled to him. When I was studying this passage, this was really cool to think about because sometimes uh, I have the thought that God the Father is somewhat hesitant 
to let me stand in his presence, be confident in his presence, draw close to him, pray boldly to him. But then because of Jesus, he allows me. As if it was Jesus' idea, but no, he had Jesus die so that, so that I can stand in his presence with full confidence, draw near to God, talk to him. It was his idea, and I love that. And that's what the next part of the verse goes into. <clears throat> Second part of verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is the result of reconciliation. Couple observations here. This is something that is seemingly already done. He has already reconciled us. We are holy. We are without blemish. We are free from accusation. We're no longer alienated. We are now reconciled. And I'll, I'll get back to that as we get to the next verse. But considering that it's now, like there's the whole question that I've heard asked and it goes like this. If you are standing before God, God the Father, and, and Jesus were next to you, like who's more holy, Jesus or you? And, and, and you know, the first thought is that it's Jesus, right? Obviously. But no, like not according to this verse not according to God's promise. Just, we are just as holy, just as perfect, just as blameless as Jesus. If you have received Jesus in your life, do you believe that? Do you believe that that's how God views you? For those of us who feel really stained, like, like beyond the ability to take out the stain. Like this is amazing, refreshing news. Um, and I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. Like I struggle to believe that I'm completely clean now. Like no, no blemish, no stain or spot. I'm like, really? You mean I'm not like the carpet in my office here at NCF that got candle wax spilled all over it? I like, like, I think I am. I think I'm dirty. And that's what happened a couple weeks ago. I, I <laughs> spilled a, a bunch of uh, candle, hot candle wax on my carpet, had a candle on a hot plate in my office. I moved a chair. I didn't realize the chair was straddling the cord to the hot plate, moved the chair, pulled the hot plate, candle falls, hot liquid wax all over the place, tried to uh, semi-hide it for a few days. Uh, until I could try to clean it up. But really, I did not think it would be able to clean up. Um, but did some research, and uh, who knew? Okay, you wet, okay, here is a tip. Uh, you wet a towel, you put it on the wax, then iron the towel, and, and all the, racks, the wax like absorbs right up into the towel. It's amazing. It's so cool. So my carpet is almost like new now. You guys can check it out. Um, Jesus took on himself all our stains, all our blemishes, absorbed all our sin, all of it. There's nothing in between you and God now if you have Jesus. Nothing. There's absolutely nothing. He nailed them to the cross. 
in order to present us to God spotless. Jude 24 says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Without fault and with great, great joy. This, is, this truth has the potential to give us great joy. But I've realized something, and that is that I only find joy in this truth if, if I'm feeling the stain of my sin. If I'm, only if I'm feeling the depravity of my sin, then promises like this verse really mean something. When I feel the stain and dirtiness of my sin, that's when I'm amazed and so worshipful that he declares me spotless in Christ. And so I want to invite you to pray a dangerous prayer this morning. If you're not feeling dirty because of your sin, if you're not feeling stained, if you want to feel the freedom and joy of this truth, pray to God to reveal your sin to you. And that's one of those prayers that he will answer. Pray to God to reveal your sin to you. It's a dangerous prayer. Do you want to think that you're better than other people, which results in us not feeling anything when reading this truth about being spotless in Christ? Or do you want to rejoice in this truth? Pray to God to reveal your sin. That's a dangerous prayer, but it's worth it if we want to live a life of worship and joy. The question is, do you want to live a mediocre Christian life or a life of worship and joy? Sometimes we fast forward to, I'm unstained in Christ without acknowledging just how stained we are without Christ. We have got to acknowledge on an ongoing basis how stained we are in order to rejoice in this truth that Jesus does the miracle on the cross of making us pure and unstained. That's what we are tempted to miss so often. As generational Christians in a very Christian town is no, we can't skip past continually acknowledging our sin, our stain. I don't know about you, but I want to have joy. And one of the first precursors to joy is acknowledging your sin. I want to comment on something else here in verse 22 before moving on to the next verse. Uh, when he says, without blemish. Uh, this is the same language used in the Old Testament to describe the unblemished animals that the Levitical priests would bring uh, for a sacrifice to God. God required the sacrifice to be spotless and perfect. And it's interesting in this verse because, because who's the sacrifice for our sin? It's, it's Jesus, right? He's the spotless lamb. 
who takes away the sin of the world. He's the the, uh, sacrifice that atones for our sin. But here it says that he makes us without blemish. And it was cool when I was thinking about that because I think um, it could totally mean that Jesus makes us an acceptable sacrifice to God, not a sacrifice to atone for sin. Jesus already did that. But an acceptable sacrifice of living a life of worship, pleasing to God, living a life of pleasing to God, giving things up for him and his purposes Hebrews 12.1 talks about this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, a living sacrifice. We don't have to die because Jesus already died for our sin. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We can only live as a sacrifice of worship, an acceptable sacrifice to God if we're purified by Jesus without spot. You know, people in other religions, and I would include people who claim Christianity but just define themselves by how good they are, usually just based on comparing themselves to others, people like that, people in other religions, sacrifice a lot for religious purposes. A lot. But one reason it's not acceptable is because they themselves are the sacrifice and they are not unblemished. Their good deeds are like filthy rags. It talks about in Isaiah 64 when he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. You know why our sins sweep us away? Because we have to pay for our sin if we don't have Jesus. You must have Jesus cleanse you for your sacrifices to God to be acceptable. On to verse 23. But now he's reconciled, verse 22, you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Then verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. First part of verse 23 is the condition of reconciliation. We are already reconciled, but then this verse says, if If you continue in your faith, already but not yet. We are reconciled presently. Verse 22 says, but now he has reconciled you. The Greek literally means at this very moment. You are reconciled. And then it says, if you continue. And in the Greek, it's very obvious that it's a condition. And I like how ESV Study Bible summarized this. It says, this verse shows that faithfulness to the end is essential in the Christian life. What's encouraging about this verse 23 is that the clear implication is that you are currently in the faith. You're not striving to accomplish faith, established, and you're not trying to be established. And then it says to be moved, not to be moved away from the hope 
held out in the gospel. It doesn't say we're still trying to get there. All of these are positive in nature. Once again, you are saved. You are in the faith. Now keep persevering in it. And in a sense, uh, persevering in the faith is easy. Because faith just means trust. It's not trust in yourself to clean yourself up so that you don't have any sin stains and so that you persevere to the end. No, it's, it's trust in the free gift of being perfectly clean of sin already through Jesus. It doesn't say that salvation is up to you continuing to try to do well enough to try to continue to do good. It says salvation requires that we continue in faith, simple faith. And if you don't hear anything else today, hear that. It's not faith or trust in ourselves to clean ourselves up. It's faith and trust in Jesus. But this verse does bid us to examine and watch ourselves, to guard us against drifting from the hope that we have like far be it from us to start hoping in our, in our own goodness rather than in Christ and what he's done. Like far be it from us to start hoping in people for unconditional love. Far be it from us to start hoping in financial security or possessions or retirement or hobbies for true life. Like the fact is sometimes Sometimes people drift so far that it shows that they were never in Christ in the beginning. We are to watch ourselves. And ultimately, here's another promise. Ultimately, we rely on God to grant us and give us this perseverance. 1 Corinthians 1 and Philippians 1, just a couple verses that quickly came to my mind. He will also keep you firm to the end. God will. God will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, we are confident of this, that he, be, he who began a good work in us will continue it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then the last part of verse 23, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul was a servant of the gospel. And if you're a servant of someone or something, then you do what they command. They don't serve you, you serve them. And I was thinking about this and I just thought of how we could possibly switch that around. We can start trying to have the gospel serve us like in a not healthy way, unhealthy way, then, then us serve the gospel, just using the language that Paul is using. Uh, meaning in this fallen world, and as we live in it with non-Christians, we're tempted to use the gospel to serve our own self-significance, sense of significance by comparing. Like I know something that, and you, uh, I know something that you don't. We can use it to serve our pride. Like, I know the truth and you don't. I know how to share the gospel and you don't. I know more of the Bible 
than you. Or we can use the gospel to live a comfortable life. You know, I have heaven, my eternity is secure, so I'm just going to relax. God is in control, so I don't have to help people or reach out to them. If he wants to save them, then he'll save them. Those would be some examples of using the gospel to serve us in a not good way rather than us being a servant of the gospel. I think of Matthew 8. Says, Jesus said, um, it's an interaction with Jesus. Then a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Like truly following Jesus, being a servant of the gospel isn't comfortable. And Paul is an example of that. So just a summary quote. And we hold firmly, we hold firmly to the already as we persevere through the not yet. We hold firmly to the already as we persevere through the not yet. We hold firmly to the truth that through Christ we are reconciled to God, no longer alienated from him. We are now holy, without blemish, free from accusation as we persevere through the not yet, the brokenness of life, the temptations of sin, the foolishness of walking in sin. Reconciliation is at the heart of God's plan for humanity. And what's so cool is that once reconciled, he invites us to be his reconcilers to the world. Do you look at the world and all that's going on and think, and the first thought is, how can I reconcile them to the Lord? And I'll end with this verse and then pray. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 We have the ministry of reconciliation, this reconciliation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us now. We have this now. The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are called as Christ's followers not to condemn the world. Not to make fun of it. But to love the world so much and think how can I appeal to them to be reconciled to God. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to just pray through the the verses here to close us out Um, God thank you so much Lord that you have reconciled us Lord in a sense help us to feel the alienation that our sin gives us so that we can absolutely rejoice in what you've done for us and how you've reconciled us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sin. Help us to see how we really are without blemish, free from accusation, free from stain, all stain. And God, please, please, we, we cry out to you. Give us perseverance 
to continue in the faith, to not move from the hope that you've given us. God, we need you, and we just admit that today. We can't do it on our own. And then, Lord, um, help us to be ministers of this reconciliation. Give us boldness. Give us, first of all, your love like we've never felt your love before to the lost so that we will be bold in love. And Lord, I know that you use us to bring more people to, your, to yourself when we do that. And so we pray for that. And uh, thanks for being a good God. And I just lift up all those that are suffering in this congregation right now with health, with emotional turmoil, relational turmoil. God, thank you that you are not a God that is distant, that you are near to us, Lord. Help, help us to be a community where we feel your closeness through each other. And uh, just guide the rest of this day, we pray all these things through your son, Jesus. Amen.